one of the greatest challenges in preaching the gospel is to make sure that the things that you teach are relevant to the needs of those who sit in the pews. In order to try to do that, many people are trying to seek to let the modern culture drive what it is we study and what it is that is taught. I believe that they have made a very serious mistake in doing so. Because God's Word is relevant if we'll only but search the portions of it that relate to the kinds of situations in which we find ourselves. I believe that if you look at the Old Testament prophets, they dealt with people who were very much like you and I. They addressed issues that are relevant to what you and I must do. This morning, we're in our third lesson from the messages from Malachi. And the title of this one is, When Money Becomes Your God. There are some very touchy topics in the Bible. And when you start thinking about some of those topics, the first one might be that of faith. Your own personal faith. Are you really loyal to God or not? Or are you giving up on God? Family. When you start talking about someone's family, you have begun to intrude in areas where people had just soon you stay out. Finances. You really want to get somebody's attention. You talk about their pocketbook. And in case if you haven't noticed, Malachi chapter 1 was about when people began to lose interest in God, in their faith, and their religion begins to wane. Family, the lesson last week, when your family begins to fall apart. This week, when money becomes your God, finances... You see, Malachi does not retreat from confronting each of these topics. It's relevant. It deals with who we are and where we are in our lives. And chapter 3 addresses their robbing God. I want you to keep your Bibles open to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to observe three things in this chapter. Number one, the robbery. Number two, the reactions that both God and man have to that. And then number three, the relevance to us and making some application in our lives. Let's look first of all again at verse 8. And I want you to concentrate on this verse with me. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And tithes and offerings. The word robbery that is found here is found in one other passage. Found in Proverbs chapter 22, verses 22 and 23. And the reason why I want to bring it up is because I think it is very fitting that we see it in its context. Solomon says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted in the gate or at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause 
and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. The idea of this word robbery or plunder is someone who comes to you and takes that which you are rightfully entitled to enjoy. For instance, a man comes and he sticks a knife at your throat and says, You give me your jewelry. You begin to take off your wedding ring and perhaps other rings. Those belong to you. You have a right to them. You are entitled to them. But you see, he deprives you of them. We need to understand that when we start talking about robbing God, we're talking about taking something from God that belongs to him that he is rightfully entitled to. Their question was, in what way have we robbed you? How have we taken from God what belongs to him? And so God responds, two things, in tithes and in offerings. Now, unless someone misunderstands, I know we're studying the Old Testament. I know that we are under the New Covenant, the New Testament. But Romans 15 and verse 4 said, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I understand that those Old Testament passages are extremely valuable for me to understand. You see, they had tithes. Of the children of Israel, when they came into the promised land, God said, Ephraim, Manasseh, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, each of you will get your portion of land. But when he came to the tribe of Levi, he said, you're not going to get any land. You're going to get the value that all of these others produce, that 10% of it. Let me illustrate Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. All of the, and all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. That tithe, that 10%, belonged to God. It was God's. It wasn't theirs. It was God's. When I go to Numbers 18, 24 and 26... For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. I don't think that's very difficult to understand. God gave them a law. They were to respond to that law by giving God what was rightfully His. In addition to the tithes, though, there were offerings. Most of them were just simply free will offerings. You've had a, a, a good year. Maybe something good has happened in your family. Maybe you have a generous heart and you say, I want to give God something over and above and beyond what He has blessed me with. When I go to Exodus 25 and verse 2 and 3, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold and silver and bronze. 
You see, these were the free will givings, and they were not necessarily the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees or of the flock, but was money. You can go and see the same thing in Exodus 35 and verse 5. When we get to Exodus chapter 30, verse 13, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. You see, just like you would play a temple tax, God said, I want you to give this offering. Now, when you think about this robbery, for some people, it's hard to see how this robbery hurts God and hurts His cause. I want you to put yourself in the position of the person to whom Malachi was speaking. And I want you to put yourself in who you are today. Now, here's the way some people think in their minds. God owns it all. This is His world this is his building. God has so much more than I do. He doesn't need what I give. You know, there's a lot of people think like that with regards to the government. They say the government owns all this land. The government has all this money. And so if I cheat on my taxes just a little bit, I'm not hurting anybody. Really? Does God need in the sense of what he gets from us, I want to put this in its actual context. If you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 10 through 12, I'm going to go there in just a moment. But I want to explain to you the background of the book of Malachi as it intersects with the book of Nehemiah. You see, the children of Israel have returned from the Babylonian captivity. They've actually rebuilt the temple, but they're not doing what they ought to be in it. And you have Nehemiah returning to the city. The walls are broken down. He's trying to get the people stirred back up to serving God and doing what they ought to do. And one of the problems is the priests have not been doing their job. You see that in chapter 1 of Malachi and chapter 2 of Malachi. They've not been doing their job. One question goes off in my mind. If they're not doing their job, why? Are they lazy? Are these priests here somehow unconcerned? Why have they failed in their task? Well, Nehemiah gives us some insight. I also realize that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and oil to the storehouse. Folks, here's what's going on. God had said, I want you to give the tithe to the Levites because of the work they do in the temple. The people quit giving the tithe. You know what happened to the Levites? They've got to eat. So they go each man to a field and they work in the field. And what's happening to the religious part of God's people? The work's not being done. 
a failure to support the work of the church will cause the work to suffer. If we don't give God as we are prospered, do you know what happens? There's a missionary who won't go into the field. There's benevolent work that needs to be done which will not be done. There are works of the Lord's church that will suffer if we do not do as we are told to do. Listen to Acts 6 and verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not a good thing. What if everyone decided, Well, we're going to just try to get by as cheaply as we can. And instead of anybody being supported to do the work, we're going to say, you bring your own support. Then you would have the Lord's work suffering. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Paul said, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Do we want... Every man who serves in the military to say, I'm going to serve for free. And I'm going to, when I'm on the battlefield, I'm going to stop a little bit of every day and go out and do some business to try to make enough to support myself. No, you wouldn't want that. You want a man who is devoted and dedicated to his cause. When they did not support the Word of God, they robbed God, but they also robbed the spiritual influence that was among those people. Now let's look at the result in verses 9 through 12. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now with this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruits for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. There's always choices to be made and there's always consequences from them. I can choose to be righteous or I can choose to be wicked. I can choose to be generous or I can choose to be stingy. But whatever choice I make, there's going to be some consequence to that. God placed that before the children of Israel when he prepared them for entering into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. Now, I want to stop here and notice that just like that, the same thing was in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. He said, You're cursed with a curse. Verse 27 here says, The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord. The problem was that they were cursed with a curse because they had not done what God told them to do. 
Now I want to carry you back to the same context again. The book of Haggai, along with Zechariah, go with Malachi. All three of them prophesying about the same set of events. And when you get to Haggai chapter 1, I'm just going to be able to look at verses 7 through 11. There's so much more there, but let me just focus your attention for just a moment. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house that is in ruins and every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land and the mountains and the grain and the new wine and the oil and of whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and all the labor of your hands. You see, God had said to them, there's a curse upon you because you won't give. You won't build my house. We don't realize sometimes. We're working so hard in life and we've made money our God and we keep trying to reach after it, but we can't reach it. You know why? God says, I'm not going to give it to you. In the same context of Haggai chapter 1, he says, it's like a man who puts money into a bag with holes. You keep shoveling the money in the bag, but there's a hole in the bag and the money begins to fall out. You see, God said, you're cursed with a curse. Well, what God follows that up with is a challenge. Test me. Try me. Prove me. God said, you do what you know is right and see what happens. There's results, there's consequences to doing what is right as well. And God said, see if I won't open to you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing to, to the degree that you won't be able to receive enough of it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. This I say that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. What you sow is what you're going to reap. Sometimes illustrations help us understand. You sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. Here's a man who opens a restaurant. And he says, I want to make all the money that I can make in my restaurant. And so as the servers began to prepare the food to put on the plate... They put a little small portion of beans. They put a little small portion of potatoes. They put a little small portion of meat. They give a little bitty piece of bread. And they set that plate in front of someone and someone says, hmm, these are extra small portions. I think I'll go somewhere else and eat. Stanley and I have been on those trips before. And the truth is, a person who sows sparingly sometimes is going to reap sparingly. 
Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. Do you understand the consequence of trying to be too stingy sometimes? The children of Israel, after they got back from that captivity, were more concerned about what they were getting in their own homes and their own houses and in their own pockets than they were about what they were doing for God. In Luke 6 and verse 38, Jesus puts it almost like Malachi does by saying, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The same measure you use will be measured back to you. Now very quickly, let's look at the relevance of this in verses 13 through 18. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And what have we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Now listen very carefully. Don't let me lose your attention right here. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall do again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Folks, there is a whole sermon just in those few words. The majority of the world thinks it really doesn't matter. Watching a show on television, and a question was asked of this person. He said, Are you a religious man? And his answer was, I think God is a watchmaker. And God wound it up, and he's watching it unwind. There's a lot of people who view the world just like that. God created this world. He started it all, but since then, He's pretty much just let it run on its own. No interaction with the affairs of this world. They believe that there is a God there. He does not care one way or the other about me or the way I live. They said there's no profit 
and being righteous. Do you see that word profit? If I'm going to be righteous, what am I going to get out of it? That mentality says the value is in things on this earth. Folks, just think with me for just a moment. How silly that is. Here's a little one-year-old child. And it's birthday. And you put a present in front of that one-year-old child. And they begin to unwrap that package. You know what they play with? The pretty wrapping paper. Y'all know that's true, don't you? They play with the wrapping paper because it's pretty and it's flashy. And the, the prize, the present that's on the inside, they ignore that. You know what we're doing here in this world? The wealth of this world is just the wrapping paper. And sometimes we're so immature, we're so unaware that we're playing with the wrapping paper. They would say that only those who take care of themselves will succeed. You tell me that's not relevant today. You tell me the world is not telling each and every one of us that if you don't take care of yourself, you'll lose. That view totally ignores God. Why do people rob? Why do people steal? It's because they have an inordinate desire for things. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Do you see the foolish and harmful lust? Do you see these people pierced through with many sorrows? They don't realize the mistake they're making. Exodus 20, verse 15 and 17. You shall not steal, and then you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, nor anything that's your neighbor's. This inordinate desire to say what you have, I want it, and I'm going to take it. I wish I could explore Leviticus chapter 6 for an extended period of time, but I know time's running out. Let me just point you to Leviticus 6 and say that if a person gives something to someone else for safekeeping and then they keep it and they lie and say, hey, I lost it. Someone else took it. Or about a pledge or a robbery or something extorted from his neighbor. He says he sins in doing that. He said if you find him and you catch him, you're going to have to add 20% or a fifth back to it. Joshua chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. This is relevant because Achan robbed God. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel 
And this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And here, there they are, hidden in the earth midst the, my tent with the silver under it. Achan said, I saw it, I wanted it, and I took it. But it belonged to God. I, I don't care. I took it anyway. I robbed God. When people do that, money has become their God. Ephesians 5, verse 5, Paul says, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater. A covetous man is an idolater? Yes, because he's made money his God. It's easy to become selfish when you and I focus on wealth and what it brings us. As we can think about, oh, I'd love to be able to have this, I'd love to have that. But let me point out to you, you cannot serve money and God at the same time. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money. You can't serve both God and money. You've got to make a choice which one you are loyal to the most. Your choice will affect where you spend your eternity. Malachi doesn't hit us in the pocketbook. He hits us in the heart. And he tells us we need to be putting God first in our lives. We've come to that portion of our worship where we offer the Lord's invitation. That wonderful privilege that you and I have to be able to come and be faithful New Testament Christians. For those of you who have not yet obeyed the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 8 verse 24, Hebrews 11 verse 6, among many other passages. You must be willing to repent of all the sins that you've committed. Turn your back and say, I'm not going to walk that way anymore. I'm going to walk with the Lord. Acts 17, verse 30. Acts 2, verse 38. Among many other passages. Then you are to confess with your mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. And then to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Acts 22, verse 16, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, Mark 16, verse 16. The majority of this audience has already done that. You've, you've already made a commitment to the Lord. But the truth is, sometimes, though, our commitment wanes and fails. It did among the children of Israel, and it can among us. God looks for us, wants us to be loyal and true to Him. If 
you need to be restored to righteousness, we plead with you. Respond to the Lord's call as together we stand and sing.